episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with Sarah Swanberg, acupuncturist, person with type 1 diabetes, and proud mama too. It comes in handy, tell me sugar mama what's your A1C, are you into endocrinology, the pricker is a pricker and the pumper is pumping, beats like Wilford Brimley keeps coming in. This is the Real Life Diabetes Podcast, episode 40. Woo! Where we push the envelope of diabetes possibilities by showcasing ideas and people who are living their own creative life. We are your hosts, Amber Kluwer and Ryan Fightmaster, and this is our 40th episode. Welcome to the 40s. Couldn't have been a better guest either. I, I, it's been a long time since I've learned that much in one episode. Yeah, I like yeah. teared up at one point too. She's so passionate about being honest about the pregnancy and the struggles and... Not only about her life with diabetes, but as a female, too. I think that just, she did a killer job. She did. She, uh, I don't know. She was just honest about every aspect of the pregnancy process. Mm-hmm. And we've been waiting so long to do, like, an episode dedicated to what yeah. it's like to be pregnant with type 1. And she, she, she gave us everything we could have asked for, so. And she's also, like, one of the people that you just feel like you've known your whole life. I could seriously, I don't even drink tequila, really, but I would sit and have a... <laughs> I would sh- take a shot of tequila with that woman. Okay, so you're saying she puts you in like a shot of tequila kind of mood? Well, I mean, when you listen to the episode, you, you get you the, you get the, yeah, you'll understand. But, um, you know, she's just an all around, I think she'd be a really fun person to hang out with. Agreed. Agreed. We're going to have to make our way up to the Connecticut area. We're going to find our way to Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. She did a We're gonna hun- do 100, mile, 100 mile bike race in Vermont. No, 65. She's, she's 60, pushing oh, up. She's, she's pushing, pushing up. Yeah, so next. she talks about that a little bit as well, which is... Inspirational. I love it. Yeah, all those. Uh, it's it's got to be close. They're like next door neighbors, right? Vermont, <laughs> Connecticut. <laughs> They're buddies. Those places are completely foreign to me. That's just like one bunch of You've never Patriots been that area? fans. Have, to me. have you ever been? You've never been to that area? I've been to Boston before. I've never been up yeah, this, there. That's, yeah, you'd, it, you'd be, love it. Okay. Anywho. Just to see so, All right. You do some announcements? Let's do it. Okay. We're shaking things up, people. We're shaking things up. How are we shaking things up? <laughs> You know what we're going to say, but we're not going to say it. It's going to, we're going to wait. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. We have pause on that, that one. That, but the thing we usually say every show yeah. about something. My tattoos well, involved. We're just, we're, we're going to hold that up. Yeah. We'll get to that later. But. So we have sh- a happy hour. We, oh, we have a happy hour. That's right. And I hope this comes up before the happy hour. I don't know. Maybe. It's coming out before the happy hour. Okay, good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, March 14th. We'll be at the Powerhouse, located in the Farmer's Market District of downtown Oklahoma City. Had drinks there this week, and that is a great crew, local bar, and perfect for people wanting to talk about diabetes. It's also on spring break around here, so for all of the, the type so of adults gonna get naked. that <laughs> want to try to channel that spring breakage <laughs> from the past, that's what we're doing. It's going to be a great That's time. funny. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So happy hour. And we love you. Thank you for all of the likes, loves, and shares. Keep it up. Our social media presence is very important to what we do. And your, bring, your energy brings other people to our site. So We love that energy. 
Um, yeah, I appreciate everybody telling family members, friends about the side. Yeah. And especially those people that are not Ryan's grandparents, <laughs> they are lovers of us. God love them. Yep. They get, they get paid for each Facebook share for sure. <laughs> the love friends are probably like, <laughs> love your grandma, grandma. their Facebook friends are probably like, please stop sharing Ryan's stuff. <laughs> this dive, you just daily grind. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just kidding. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, very, very much. Thank you. Okay. Are you ready to, to talk a little yeah, bit about Sarah before? Let's, Let's do it. We start the show. All right. Sarah Swanberg is the owner of Fairfield Family Acupuncture in Stamford, Connecticut, and a board-certified diplomat in acupuncture and Chinese herbology through the National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. And this is not something that Sarah grew up with as her passion in life. She Mm. found this, stumbled into it, felt the impact during her pregnancy, and then launched into this, this Eastern medicine idea. Um, so we're very excited to showcase that at some point. Yeah. That'll be a follow-up podcast for sure. But she works with, with children of all ages. Um, she also goes into adulthood. Um, and her goal is to maintain optimal health health and or health or health Whole foods, health, (laughs) but she is, uh, uh, she is uh, fun to talk to. Um, she lives with her husband and her two daughters and you can hear them a little bit during the show. Maybe some drums. There could be some drums in the background. We didn't pick that up, but Mm -hmm. you might. Yeah, it might be there. Jonathan, try try to help everybody (laughs) listen to the drums. All right. (laughs) Kidding. All right. I think it's time to start the show. Hello. Yay. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I picked the right one. (laughs) We're good to go and we can hear you just fine. This is great. So thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, and I was trying to think about this because, I mean, I remember, I feel like I reached out to you a, a while back after, re- did I read something? Did you do, write a Beyond Type 1 article? I did. I wrote <clears throat> two separate pieces for Beyond Type 1. And I do remember talking to you because my little one, who's one, she's 16 months now. Uh, she was a newborn and I had her wrapped to me. So I was talking to you. <laughs> That's like, right. <laughs> That's I right. I around my living room trying to get her to not wake up. But I, um, I got like a little animated at some point and I remember her peeping and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just showing Ryan. I was like, I feel like a Facebook stalker, but your kids are so freaking cute. Um, oh, thank you. They're adorable. And so you got to understand this too, Sarah. Uh, since the time that you came into Amber's life and you guys got to know each other and you first wrote a post for us, I think back a year ago that was on the yeah. site. Yeah. Um, I have been exposed to your children's pictures because like every couple of months, Amber's like, oh my gosh, Ron, you got to check out Sarah's pictures of her kids. I'm like, okay. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, you have like a redheaded nephew or yeah, something. Yeah. And right? since then, my sister's yeah. had another baby and I was praying um, that Connor would have red hair, but he, he has dark hair and dark eyes. She's uh, so there's still hope, but yeah, there is. I remember we had that redhead connection. My little one is like blonde. There's a little strawberry in it from time to time. I think it might be coming, but, um, so far (laughs) nothing. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. My four year old, the redhead, um, broke her leg last weekend. So how'd she break it? Trampoline park, of course. (laughs) Um, and she's in a cast up to her hip and she's a trooper, but, um, it's definitely changed our, yeah, yeah. Their day to day, but we're all good. When I laughed about you saying that you're her secretary, um, I'm sure that you would literally have to be at her beck and call. I mean, she's awesome, but like it was seriously Christmas for a few days in here, which is so awesome for all my friends and family. Everybody was sending stuff and calling, but uh, <laughs> nobody cared like how the rest of us were doing. It was just, uh, I'm sure the UPS man must have thought something crazy was going on. <laughs> <laughs> 
but good, you know, good stuff. Got to keep a four year active and independent little person busy. It's, it's tough. Um, but we're getting used to it. We've got three weeks to go. So this is a bit of a preview question to what we're going to get to here in a little while, but how excited are you to perform a little acupuncture on her leg once that cast comes off? Actually, we have been doing it Oh, um, all right. on her back and sort of, you know, low back and upper spine area where I know she, um, you know, it was enough of a trauma to really compress a bone in her leg. You have to imagine oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a little bit of a fallout elsewhere in the body. So we've been doing it. She loves it. I mean, she gives, she twice a day asks for an acupressure massage and we've been doing some cupping, <laughs> some other cool things. So, um, you know, she's healing great so far. So, uh, yeah, she's a little, a good little test case for me. Well, and it's good that you, I mean, obviously this is what you do for a living. So she's not fearful of, you know, I think most kids going into that would be scared. Totally. Um, I do, I actually do work with a lot of kids and we never call them needles. We always yeah. call them flags or taps. Oh, um, my, yeah. my new little, and they don't have to keep them in the way adults do. They're really sort of quick treatments. Mm -hmm. My new little trick is that they're birthday candles. So we sort of put the needle in, we sing happy birthday, we blow it out and take take it out. And it's as easy mm. as that. And I think kids are, are a lot more curious and open to it than we think that they would be because right. we're scared of so much stuff. But, right. um, and occasionally there's a kid that won't happen at all, but, uh, I have other, t you know, little tricks that I use for them. But, um, yeah, I know the, the thought, like when adults hear about kids and acupuncture, they're like, no way, that's crazy. But it's not as, it's not as hard as it sounds. You know, it's funny you mentioned that right now, Sarah, I'm currently on my pediatrics rotation inside medical school and kids are so flexible in, in their ideas. And totally. if, if it's presented in a way that is open and creative, just right. slightly yeah. creative, uh, it, it can create like a lasting difference in the way they view things. So very cool Absolutely. that you've experienced that. I think as long as you make it slightly fun or slightly like, you know, into a game, they're open for it. And uh, it's, it's always a challenge for me to sort of think of new ways to present things, even to my own kids outside of the, you know, the health world. But uh, yeah, kids, they're pretty cool. And I, we had the same experience in the ER last weekend with her. Mm -hmm. we, uh, we figured out ways to distract her. And she thought the x-ray machine was super cool because we could see her bones. So... Well, and yeah. okay, so going back to children, and I'm bringing this in, when were you diagnosed? So I was seven. I had just turned seven. It was June 12th, 1989. I remember, I remember what I was wearing. Um, the whole, <laughs> a, lot of it, a lot of it's vague, but it was definitely, uh, you know, as I think you would probably find um, pretty frequently in the late 80s, they were a hot pink, like biker shorts with graffiti <laughs> spray paint on them. Yeah. Uh, but I just, you know, you remember certain things like that. And I know I hadn't, I definitely hadn't been feeling well for a while. And the, my memories of that are a little bit vague, mm -hmm. but I know I wasn't really, well, first of all, I have a twin sister, which probably in some ways made it easier for my parents to notice that something was, mm -hmm. was up. You had a natural control. Yeah, exactly. I was definitely not keeping up with her in the same ways and losing weight. I mean, we were skinny little kids to begin with, but um, I think we had some sort of like race school, like magnet, I think it was called the magnet mile. It was like a little, I don't know, a half mile race or something the weekend before and I couldn't do it. And I think my parents really knew something mm. was up. I was eating like a truck driver, as my mom would say, and, <laughs> and I had to pee all the time. I mean, I remember the day that I was diagnosed, I actually, the sort of um, straw that broke the camel's back, I guess, was that I 
peed in my pants at my desk because the, the teacher wouldn't let me go again. She thought oh I was my gosh. in the bathroom doing, you know, making spitballs. I think it was probably the seventh time in about two hours that I had asked to go to the bathroom. And she said no. I sat there in my little puddle and started crying and went to the oh. school nurse. And my mom, I know they were sort of it had crossed her mind and then she thought it wasn't that, but she had set up a pediatrician appointment that afternoon for me anyway. Mm. Uh, And the school nurse called, she called them. We went straight there. And I think this was probably even before like finger six in the doctor's office. It was a, you know, a urine. Yeah. Yeah. We're off the charts. And, um, we lived in New Rochelle, which is a suburb of New York city, right North of the Bronx. And so we went straight into the city to Mount Sinai hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess I spent the next week or so, and uh, that was that. But no family history of That's it, no, no immune stuff, no no nothing. Um, so I think it was a shock, really, to everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, but I was... Yeah, I remember so much of, of sort of some things about that day, like clear, you know, really clear memories, because it was a, a life changer. Yeah. And and the reason, okay. So going back to us talking about children in the hospital, I mean, like if we, you using all three of us as an example, I don't remember how they first talked me into giving a shot. I mean, I know I was practicing on oranges and I was sick of everybody else pricking me, but you know, mm-hmm. we all can do it. And I'm obviously they did a good job of, you know, talking us through it. <laughs> it's a really decisive <laughs> moment in the future of diabetes management for each patient right there in that moment. If it's presented in a way uh, if if the patient, I mean, it's different if the patient's like three years old, right? Because I mean, this is not going to be like an incredibly huge moment for the person. Maybe it is. A lot of people remember ages at three, but like right. for a nine year old, I mean, to give that first shot is huge. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I was thinking about um, sort of my memories of it earlier today and preparing to talk to you guys. I was thinking about one thing that my doctor said, which has stuck with me for it's going to be twenty eight years. This this June. Um, and I think has affected me in good ways and bad, but it was very, very early on in my diagnosis sort of drilled in that like, you don't have to be a diabetic. You can be a person with diabetes. That's Mm. just going to be one of the like really interesting, cool things about you. And I think I took that probably too far (laughs) at many times in my life. I really think I thought like, like this isn't that big of a deal or like I got this when I really didn't. Um, or sort of played it down like this wasn't, you know, a pretty huge, huge thing to, right. to carry around. Um, and yeah, that really, there are a few like conversations that we had and, and memories of, of discussions in the hospital that have really stuck with me. So I think it can be a game changer. And I think I had a great team and they had, um, they definitely had a couple, um, therapists on staff too, that I remember talking to. And I think that that was probably Mm. pretty helpful for me starting out with a lot of these ideas that this is like something that is only going to make you stronger as opposed to this, like, Oh my God, burden that you're going to carry. Right. Right. Well, Um, when you were diagnosed too, did that your parents fear that your sister would be close behind you? They, they definitely did. And I remember at the time there was some sort of study going on at the hospital and all of my family members were tested. And actually my younger, I have an older brother and a younger sister. Um, so they had their hands, hands full to begin with. Uh, we were all tested. My younger sister actually was the one that came back with a sort of closer genetic, um, markup to me, but, hmm. but I don't remember if it was a big concern, they didn't really show it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and there weren't enough things to, to really think that like this was going to be a, you know, something that could affect my sister. And we're fraternal anyway. We're, we're like okay. about as, as you could be. So I'm sure if we were identical, it would be a different, different. Ryan, do you have any data on that? Like, do you know anything? I do. Yeah, there's data on identical twins. And it's, it's not, I think the number is either 40 or 50% of identical twins if one twin's diagnosed first, will eventually also be have have type one diabetes, so it's wow. it's still highly environmental. Yeah. Um, for anybody that's listening out there, I mean, it's very much an environmental interplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Amber and I talk about this sometimes too. But you know, type one diabetes is often mapped geographically in the same locations as multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And yeah. multiple sclerosis is a latitude disease. So the higher you go up in latitude, the higher the incidence of multiple sclerosis and they've looked at vitamin D and sunlight and it's oh, also, wow. yeah, it's very much mapped in the same locations as type one diabetes. And the further you get to the equator, there's still kids that have type one diabetes, but the, the incidence isn't near as high. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty, oh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I know there's some, um, you know, discussion about sort of, uh, viral stuff going on. And I, de- I definitely had, um, strep throat and then scarlet fever within a few months before uh, my diagnosis. Yeah. And I think that my sister had strep throat too, but not scarlet fever. So, um, and mm. I have met several other people my age with like almost the same story. Mm. Oh yeah. Like I was a walking one, so. ball of pneumonia. I was hospitalized yeah. regularly and lived in a bubble for, I uh, felt like a while. So oh. A lot of environmental factors there too. Yeah. I mean, there's always an environmental factor, like you mentioned, Sarah, in somebody's background. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you, with okay, with your own children, are you um, are you doing? Is it trial net, right? Uh, we're not doing it, but I will tell you, I have had uh, one freak out with each of them. <laughs> yeah, tell I us about the thought, freak out moment. Yeah. Oh my God! Like last year. Um, what happened? My, my four year old, I guess she was three at the time. She was just not eating as much or no, she was eating more than usual. Mm -hmm. She was having a couple more like accidents in the middle of the night. Um, and she was thirsty or just like kind of asking for water. Not, none of them were like the big hallmark signs, but there were enough things that I was like, (laughs) yeah, our threshold to freak out is going to be so much lower than any other parent. (laughs) (laughs) And I happened to have a ketone, um, you know, strip around and she wasn't going to let me anywhere near her with, um, a finger prick, a little finger pricker. Yeah. She, she knows what that is and she knows how to stay far. I even tried to, you know, do it in the middle of the night. (laughs) sneak into her room and she woke up and she screamed. So I wasn't going to torture her with that, but I thought, you know, I could get her to pee in a cup. So I did. And I put the ketone strip in and sure enough, it turned, you know, that dark purple and I freaked out. Like yeah. I knew there were other reasons that she could have ketones, but there was enough things that I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, <laughs> this is happening. This is my yes. here. here we go. I, I had to work that morning. I was driving somewhere. I called the doctor and they said, come in at two o'clock. I brought her in. And, uh, they didn't, they did test her blood sugar and they did another urine test. And he really thought like, you're fine. You're crazy. I mean, he was understanding (laughs) that I was, that I was freaking out, but he, um, he sent me home and, and I realized after that, that it was just, yeah, that's going to be part of the, you know, parenting paranoia that we have about all sorts of things, but that will definitely be something I will, I will have to battle with in my life. I did when I first found out I was pregnant, it was one of the first questions I asked my endocrinologist is like, what are the chances? And, uh, given that there's no family history on my side and zero on my husband's, I knew it was not more, not much more than the average, um, Oh yeah. Average kids, but it's, it's, it's scary. 
it's not something I find. I have been meeting a lot more parents of kids with type one. And Mm -hmm. I just think, God, it's so much, it's almost harder for them than it is for us. We, we've said that a number of times. One of the people we've, uh, an our dear friend, Trish Winters and her husband, Mac have two little boys with type one, both of which were diagnosed under the age of two. And so I'm, and I, I just look at her eyes and I'm just like, you have it much harder than we do. I mean, it's crazy. I got to ask you a specific question too, Sarah, because we got an email this week from uh, a listener who was asking, she's, I think she's in her mid twenties. She has two kids. Uh, She's about to go to medical school. Oh yeah. And she was curious. She was like, you know, I find that being a parent to two little ones is, is really, really challenging as a person with diabetes, managing my own levels, but also directing concern like to them all the time during the day. Right. I was curious, like, do you have any specific thoughts there? Does that ring any bells for you? Yes, it feels like a third child. <laughs> and you have to, you know, it's like there's there are days when it feels like a constant like state of triage, like who yeah. needs what work, you know, worse and, and whose needs are the priority. And there have been times where I feel like I let my own control mm-hmm. sort of slip behind. And then I have to sort of check in with myself and say, like, if I'm not taking good care of myself, if I'm not feeling good, nobody's happy. I mean, it's yeah. like that. If if mom's not happy, nobody's happy. It's, uh, if mom's blood sugar is not in control, nobody's happy. <laughs> so, um, but that's been a hard lesson. I've had lows, I've had highs, I've had ch- you know some challenges, mm-hmm. and uh, just recently kind of started talking to my daughter about the idea. My four year old, my little one, is just a we call her baby Godzilla. She's she's one. <laughs> and time before she's we'll have this conversation. But I did. I said to her, um, you know if. Or, or I guess I just started having a conversation about what she would do if I was ever sort of taking a nap and couldn't wake up because um, mm-hmm. those things happen. And that, that is more terrifying to me than anything else that she would have to sort of deal with this somehow. And, um, you know, I mean, the technology that we have is amazing. I have the Dexcom. Woohoo! Sir, which I know, Amber, you just started, right? Yeah, I'm totally it. digging it. Yeah, it's weird. It's the best, but um, my husband got the, you know, the whatever that is, the cloud yeah, the thing share. on his yeah. phone. Which I was a little reluctant to <laughs> give over that password to him. Yeah. <laughs> we all would be too. I feel like I had spent so many years with my parents, sort of mm-hmm. looking over my shoulder at my oh, blood yeah. sugar. Didn't really want him. I wouldn't. Don't. Didn't want anybody to have that access. But it's been. It feels like um, a safety net in a way because if those urgent al- low alarms keep going off, I know he's going to text me. And uh, there have been times where I'm probably texting him back not so nicely uh, you know that's kind of snappy I'm fine leave me alone <laughs> but I, I know he's there to, to you know sort of be a backup if something were to happen speaking um, of the Dexcom Ryan's phone's blowing up are you low? no it's asking for my first oh, uh, blood glucose meter value to because I'm I need to re Recap. set the sensor you know? Do we need we can take a break this might be a good time to take a break and Oh, it's no big deal. I'll just you I'll sure? just stall it out for a little while. Okay. Yeah. Whenever right we on. take the mid-break show, I'll I'll get it loaded up. But sounds good. I'm not I'm not too worried about it. blood sugar's in a good spot. Good. I actually turned my um <laughs> my alerts off because I was like that would be annoying. <laughs> going off. I'm talking. <laughs> well, we're it happens to all of us. That's the kicker. I yep. right when I got the Dexcom right off the bat, I just started a new job and. And I had I walked in. You know, it's like my fourth or fifth day, and I was like, "Look, guys, look what I have on my arm." And my boss was super nice and he was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And the other woman was like, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and I, she was just like, it really, because it freaked her out. And maybe it was the way that I talked about it. Yeah. And then my, I, because I hadn't set my, um, 
alarms probably appropriately and so shit started blowing up and they're like oh my god are you gonna die (laughs) and i was just like no i'm fine (laughs) i I, I sometimes like get too used to the alert you know the high alerts i'm like i know i'm coming down and i'm fine and other people are like what is that beeping (laughs) (laughs) yeah and yeah anywho well um okay so and i'm just gonna go ahead and do it while we're talking yeah so we're testing we're yeah ryan's got his stuff going on well let me ask you so with your husband like i i i've never been married um neither has ryan that i know of (laughs) um previous life previous life Um, so how's life i mean how does your husband handle you having diabetes man he's a he's a rock star. I don't know. I think he, we never made a big deal of it. He mm-hmm. never made a big deal of it. Um, I'm sure there was probably a moment where he was like, you know, what am I getting myself into? I do remember <laughs> right. talking to, or, you know, showing him my pump for the first time when we were, you know, just early dating. Um, which is like, I think I probably tried to play it off like it was no big deal, but like, that's gotta be a big thing. Like, Hey, here's this machine that keeps me alive. So, uh, you know, welcome to this whole world of something you've never even had to know about before. Right. Um, I think, but one of the things he said when he first started seeing my blood sugars on the Dexcom app was like a realization of how quickly things change and how, how hard it is to really keep things stable. I don't think I had ever, I, I sort of tend to the to be the like not talk about it yeah. kind of person instead of over talk about it. Right. Um, and I just sort of like power through even when I don't feel great. But I think yeah, it was probably an eye opener um, for him. And I went on the sensor the dip, the Medtronic sensor actually right when I was right before I got pregnant with my first daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was a big I think probably a learning curve for me and for yeah. him as well. But um, he's just super supportive and has gotten up to get me orange juice more times than I can count in the middle of the night. And, uh, <laughs> I, I have to laugh. I, I mean, I do. I, I try to keep it together, but there are times when you're just cranky and you feel like shit. And he's, yeah. of course, the first person to see it. So uh, last year, I don't know if it was you guys posted or somewhere on one of the type one sites, there was the T-shirt that said, like, I'm sorry for what I said when my sugars were low or high. <laughs> right. Yes, I'm I, so sorry. <laughs> I sent that to him right away. I'm like, I am sorry. It's not just me. <laughs> and I love you guys sort of posted something last week, I think, about owning your your monster. And, oh, uh, yeah, God. I can be a monster. I know. Just well, I, And I think that was something you just touched on. There are two different types of people in, in the diabetes world when it comes to you either, I'm going to say, hide it. Not mm-hmm. intentionally necessarily, but you don't make a big, you don't, it's not drama. You know, you just handle it. And it takes a real serious experience for you to be like, I need to take a break or whatever. And then you have the other people that are like whiny, whiny, whiny. And that's all you hear about. And everything in their life is related to diabetes and everybody knows about it. And, yeah. it's, and I just haven't found a lot of people that are in the middle, you know? And um, Well, I would say I'm now start getting a little more comfortable with being in the middle. I yeah. think as a kid, I do remember, you know, my parents sent me away to you know, type one sleepaway camp for two summers in a row and tried to get me involved in all of the JDRF mm-hmm. walks. I just wasn't into it. And yeah. I think because yep. it was in denial, mostly like I didn't want to be part of this. I, this is a club that I don't want to be part of. So we say that it. often. I didn't sign up for this club. <laughs> yeah. I for it. And <laughs> I'm sure I probably missed out on what could have been some really amazing sort of relationships and support, but I just did not want to be part of it. And it wasn't until Really, I guess when I was pregnant that I, uh, beyond type one, 
was coming out and I loved Sam Talbot because I loved him from Top Chef. Um, <laughs> there, there are people. And so, you know, he started posting things about it and I really liked that they were a little bit more positive about, yeah. about yeah. it and then met you guys and then got involved in, um, JDRF stuff and doing the bike ride again this summer. We're going to do a hundred miles and Yay. raise the money. And, um, and I like found like there's this whole amazing world of positive people that yeah. aren't what I think I remember thinking when I was a little kid that like, oh, it's so whiny. Like how much time can we spend complaining about this <laughs> when we go doing other things that really, I don't think that that was true. I think that was more my own, uh, issues <clears throat> with it of just not wanting mm-hmm. to be part of it but I saw it as like going back to the diagnosis of this thing that wasn't didn't have to be my whole life um Mm -hmm. but yeah there were (laughs) I've you know I do consider myself really lucky that I I skated through some what could have been tough situations in my college and yeah um, 20s when I was not paying attention to it at all yeah Um, god yeah I think in my late high school and early college I'm thankful to be alive seriously no doubt Yep. <laughs> well, so much of our like diabetes lives, even on a daily basis, are spent in this like I got this mode. Yeah. And we, it has to be because it is just us usually taking yep. care of it. But I think what we're starting to figure out with like JDRF and this like online diabetes community and what like Beyond Type One's doing is it's like it's not about me. It's about like helping others and like serving and like using mm-hmm. my experiences to maybe help others and learn from others. And the more we give to those things, the more we get back and the more we're open to it. And man, it's been really like a, a light bulb experience just being in this community like you're talking about. Cause I was like you growing up. It's like, oh, it's just me. I got this. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and, exactly. And I feel like that's sort of what got me into it too, is like, oh my God, maybe I have some stories that I could share somebody. to other people mm-hmm. or, you know, meeting other, I've met, you know, I wear my sensor on my arm. So people see it and people yeah. ask about it. when people come up to me and say, my daughter's in college and she wears that. And like, oh. <laughs> How have you gotten through this? Or how are you at the oh, gym? Or how are oh, you? Yeah. Like, how do you manage? How did you have kids? Like, people have a lot of questions, mostly parents. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, oh, wow, I guess I do have, there is a need for these stories. And I do have information that could be yeah. helpful to somebody else. And there is this community that already exists that, like, I ignored for so long. And now I realize, man. It's pretty cool that we can all have these connections virtually. And, you know, you're in Oklahoma. I'm in Connecticut. We're <laughs> chatting on a Saturday about type one. Like that was not something I was thinking. <laughs> right. I would have any interest in doing, but I, I really, I love it. So, If someone is out there listening and thinking, I have a very normal story and I'm a very boring person with diabetes. That is all three of us. Like we all <laughs> right. have those exact same thoughts every right. day. It's a, everybody's extraordinary. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. I do not consider myself to have any sort of interesting <laughs> history or stuff to share, but we all just sort of want to know that we're not alone, I think, and, and that um, the concerns about like how you have a family or how you get pregnant and how you do this and how you work and have kids and, um, and manage well, and, um, and, how you, and how you deal with people in the supermarket asking you about yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons that Ryan and I started the Diabetes Daily Grind is that we're telling stories and and sharing other people's stories about things that you're not going to learn in the Indo's office. You know, they don't know what it's like to go to prom and stuff. So I feel like we're doing a great service and not just, I'm not saying us, but the diabetes online community, because now there's a place that for parents to go to or someone who doesn't want to talk to their parents about they're going to start drinking alcohol or they tried something or 
they want to know about sex life and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm no, so thankful. Are, I think it's amazing that just the stories that you guys post um, on your blogs of like how to do, you know, yeah, how to go to prom or how to drink <laughs> or how to, I mean, I, I didn't have anybody to ask that. I think probably it was in my mid twenties before I was like brave enough to talk to my, my endocrinologist who I really liked and trusted about like, how do I go out and hang out at the bar all night? Because I want to. So how do I do a couple too many shots of tequila and know that I'm going to be okay? You know, I I was tired of sort of pretending like I was going to live this perfect life. I wanted to figure out how to make it work. You wanted to live the real life and would figure out a way to make it happen. I did. We we kind of need to figure out those backup plans. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had a boyfriend in college. Thank God. He, he, you know, I he, at that point I was, um, I think, was I still taking? I was taking NPH and regular. So my blood sugars were so weird and off the charts. But he kept a bag of Skittles in the nightstand, Aww. and that was sweet. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. backup plan. He was on it. I was not as as good about it as he was. But, <laughs> yeah. The people around us always rise to the occasion. <laughs> they have to. They're like, this. Kid, you're going to kick the bucket right here in front of me. <laughs> yeah. I can't be responsible. Get this kid some Skittles. Okay, One yeah. of the coolest things last summer about doing the bike ride, we did the Burlington, Vermont uh, JDRF ride. Oh, I love that area. God. Okay, oh, sorry. God, yeah. So pretty. But we did. So I decided after my my second daughter was born that I, and having had two, two rough kind of pregnancies where I felt like diabetes was controlling me, that mm-hmm. I was going to somehow like show this disease who's boss. And I decided <laughs> probably in some hormonal, um, uh, I don't know weirdness decided, yeah, I'm going to ride my, I'm going to ride a bike for 65 miles. I had never, I hadn't ridden a bike more than I don't know, five miles, I think. Awesome. And I just sort of thought this is something I want to do. I love Vermont. I want to, I want to like get back in control. And I said it, um, to my family at Easter thinking they were all going to be like, yep, you are nuts. And, uh, <laughs> instead four of them raised their hand and said they wanted to do it with me. So we did, this amazing ride last summer, it was hailing and wow. <laughs> rain. There was lightning. It was almost canceled. But to be at this sort of like these roads, these stops along the way with six other people, you know, testing our blood sugars while the, the other non-type ones were like finding dry cotton balls to help us out. Like, <laughs> thing. like everybody wants to help and everybody wants to figure out how they can like, you know, make what, this, this easier. What month just, is that bike ride this year? I mean, what do you know the date? Uh, the one, there, the one in Saratoga is in September. Okay. Is there, is, is there another one in Burlington? Oh, sorry. No, the Burlington one was canceled this year. I think they've had a couple too many years of, um, of bad weather and it's really oh. hilly. So there, so the Saratoga ride is a new one Okay, We're to do a hundred miles. They have about six rides around the country. And, um, and through that, I've met this amazing group of, of cyclists who, yeah. um, I think only one other of the the group that I was with last year had type one, but the rest are parents or friends. Right. And it's really cool. It's a great group of people. What have you found out on the bike about diabetes management? You know, like, oh my God. what are, what are your strategies? What's your game plan? You know, like with this a hundred mile ride. Yeah. What, what is, is your, what's your game plan going in? Uh, going in is just trying to sort of stay steady. I start a little bit higher usually, mm-hmm. um, than I would normally be comfortable with, but it was really a, a lot of trial and error last year on little rides. Um, I would track my blood sugar before, during and after. And mm-hmm. it's, it's weird because sometimes you get that like adrenaline yeah. rush that makes your blood sugar go up and then you don't feel good and it's hard to maintain. You That's... don't want to go low. So it has really been a challenge. I don't 
I don't have the answers. I don't know. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing half the time except really monitoring everything. I have my phone on my bike, um, you know, right in front of me so I can see if anything's trending up or down. But I really relied on the support of the type one community that already exists and already has done crazy things like this um, for advice. And there have been a few things that have helped me. I do an amino acid drink that seems to help a little bit. Mm. And um, I just keep a lot of good good snacks in my pocket. But um, but yeah, this will be much longer. So we'll see. You need to look up. I don't know if you're friends with him online, but Anthony Hightower, he is he has the it's his it's, it's duck diabetes or whatever he has this tattoo and has done it but he is out of california and he has a whole team of ra- racers and and they oh. are out every single weekend and he always talks about his diabetes management and how he's handling it they do like they go to they do all the jdrf stuff but they also yeah. like go from winery to winery and so he talks about oh, yeah. that too I, I am that name sounded so familiar i am familiar with them okay uh, good i did actually watch a podcast or listen to something that they talked about um some sort of training ideas yeah. and like everything else there's no it's never simple no it's never yeah. easy um and what works for one person doesn't work for the other but um it was sort so of true. a good challenge for me to get back um get back into feeling like like I could <laughs> do <laughs> like I was totally controlled by this yeah it's refreshing too to hear you uh describe doing that kind of racing on a bike and say that you really don't like have it a plan and it doesn't happen this way exactly every time. Right. Because that yeah. that's like how everybody really is. But I think sometimes we, we hear like, oh, just do this, 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 and this. Right. And the bike rides are going to go like this. Oh, no. It's like, no, you got to be flexible and you just got to go to roll with the punches. Anybody can do it though. Right. Like, but isn't that sort of like type one in a nutshell? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You plan for something, and it's always gonna it's always gonna throw a curveball at you, and uh, it's sort of learning how to to roll with it. Um, That's literally, yeah. I guess, on a bike. Um, but yeah, sort of roll with the changes. And uh, yeah, I use this as a horrible example, horrible example. And I put it on Instagram last night. I, I I eat an incredibly healthy diet, and last night I got crazy and I ate queso. Oh, I saw your post and I, it made my stomach growl. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, and let me say it was so worth it, but I was like, holy shit. I had no idea. And I, it, I had to give extra units of insulin like four hours later. I'm like, what is going on? Like, and it could have been other things. I mean, it could have been hormones. It could have been, you know, I, uh, anywho. So Robbie Barbero is somewhere having an aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> that and yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a guessing game, and but you got to try better. stuff new. Yes. You got to try new things. Yeah, got to try it out. I mean, if I want queso, I should be able to eat queso. So should. Exactly. Greetings, everyone. This is Ryan Fivemaster coming to you from my car outside of Trader Joe's. You're welcome, Trader Joe's, for the free plug. Anyways, I'm going to give you a quick guide on how to support the podcast. First. Just listening to the show is a huge deal, so don't feel obligated to do anything else. But if you ever buy anything on Amazon, please use our banner ad on the right side of DiabetesDailyGrind.com. You'll see Amber's tattoo. Click that tattoo. Go to Amazon. Purchase whatever you were going to purchase anyway. We receive a commission back. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it helps support the show. Secondly, leave us an iTunes review. That is probably... You know, maybe even the most important thing that you could do for the show is it helps spread the word and it helps us jump up in iTunes and get more listeners. So those are those. That's your guide. Those are the two big things. So everyone have a great week. Happy St. Patty's Day and cheers to the highs and lows. 
pricker to the finger to deliver the prick. Wake up tomorrow and it starts again, but I'm alive. Yes, I'm alive. One minor inconvenience, a little thing called diabetes. It's a daily grind. It's a daily grind. All right, transitioning into the the pregnancy conversation. Oh yeah. How valuable was the CGM? Yeah. So valuable. I honestly don't know how people do it without no that. Joke. Oh. I had, so just to back up with my story, I, um, when I got married, I decided that I was going to go to school to learn Chinese medicine because there's a whole other uh, story for another time, but it was a four year program, uh, full time. And I knew we wanted to have kids in my head. I thought, given that I had type one, just for whatever reason, I thought it was going to take a while to get, to get pregnant. And it absolutely did not, uh, to the point that it was like pretty terrifying because I, we kind of decided we were going to pull the goalie as they say. And I got off birth control and I, um, thought, okay, it's going to, it's going to take a while. And I talked to my doctor really, really briefly about sort of what would happen when I started thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And she suggested, you know, or the, the sensor I guess was had been out for a little bit and, um, it seemed like it would be something that would make my life a little bit easier. So I went on it maybe in November and was just getting used to it. And then right around new year's found out I was pregnant, which was a shocker (laughs) and like not part of the plan at all. And (laughs) you're hoping for like, it would take you about nine to 10 months, you know? And yeah, yeah. no, no. So, and I was like, Oh my God, this was not the plan. Like I wanted to be a little bit further along in my program at school (laughs) um, before we, before I was going to have to take time off. And I thought I had a little bit of time to get my numbers in control. And anyway, it didn't happen, but I'm so glad that I had a month and a half under my belt of the 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 CGM because it ended up being the most valuable tool for me. I had really tough time in my first trimester, crazy low blood sugars. I mean, crazy. Interesting. a quarter of the insulin that I normally take, which I yep. don't think is is too usual. I mean, I think is it, do you think is it because your body's having to work so hard? I mean, it's like, I mean, I it's, think so. It's but burning I know more. People that have not had that problem, hmm. they've had higher blood sugars. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, I think it was just my particular, um, just your experience, my experience, and that was really tough. But thank God for the sensor because it was really. I felt. I was I was one of those people that didn't have morning sickness. I had all day sickness. I never oh. really up, but I just felt like I was seasick for about four months. And oh, so God. I think the lows on top of that sometimes were hard to tell what was happening. Was yeah. my blood sugar dropping or just feel awful for other reasons? So oh. having oh. that tool was I mean, probably kept me out of some really dangerous situations. All of and us have those like on, cues, you know, yeah. that like that we've relied on our whole lives. And to yeah. lose those cues for a little while would be, would be pretty be tough. tough. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was exactly that, like losing those sort of feeling of like, you know, you sort of know it's coming on. I didn't have it. So I had this thing that beeped and drove me crazy. But um, <laughs> and I had apple juice on, you know, in every pocket and glucose tabs, and gels. I mean, I tried everything. And then later on in, in that pregnancy, I had the exact opposite. I was taking so much insulin, it could probably like, you know, kill a cow. Um, but I really had a lot of... Um, insulin resistance. And, and it was, I, I don't think I would have had 
such a healthy pregnancy and such a healthy baby if it weren't for that. You so. know, well, here's something. Okay, I, I'm still like wrapping my mind around the fact that your blood sugars were so low in the beginning. I'm like, well, maybe the pregnancy and the switch in hormones and your body shifting considerably, like maybe it kicked your pancreas a little bit and was like, put something out. That's not even possible. Ryan's shaking his head like, Amber, no. Uh, yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but definitely the whole, maybe, the whole maybe, part yeah. is right. Um, I don't know. I think maybe. I, I, it's possible. Well, no, I guess I was going to say yeah. eating as much, but that wouldn't really change the like my basal rates were so much lower. I can't. I don't know. And, and um, let me there's go so back many to, things it could be. Who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah. And when you say that you and your husband had talked about, you know, that you wanted children, you know, as I have said this on a number of podcasts, like I never wanted, I have never wanted children, and for I feel like because I've raised my diabetes. Yeah. Like it's been like this huge responsibility. Like I think that that has yeah. been a, such a turnoff for me. So. Was that ever a thought in your I mean, or did you already, most of the women no. I know in my life are like, I know I want children. I've never. Well, I don't even think that I was, before I got married and before I met my husband, I don't think I was one of those people that like mm. dreamed about the wedding and the kids and the family. Right, right. Something that I always kind of thought would ha- or hoped would happen, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. But I also kind of knew it might be a challenge and I wasn't yeah. going to be heartbroken if it never happened. But once once we got married and we had talked about it, like I knew I wanted a family. I knew I wasn't going to really let this get in the way too right. much. But I assumed that it would get in the way more than it actually did in, in the very beginning. Of course, mm. it got in the way much, um, you know, many other times along the pregnancies. But um, no, I didn't. It's funny. I never that never really occurred to me until after like right. now know the responsibility of it it's it's a lot and I think probably I was something I should have thought more about but um, (laughs) but I didn't because I really went along through my whole life sort of thinking this is this this thing that's not going to get away in any get in the way of anything yeah that's the way you have Uh, to be or better or worse uh yeah so yeah but I think I mean the the first person I think I called my endocrinologist even before I told my family you know, the next day and I was like, and she put me into her crazy busy schedule and she was like, come on in. My husband and I went in and I, I cried in her office. Cause I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to have a healthy baby? Yeah. Like I feel like I like to be a person that prepares for things yeah. and plans. And I, I had it and I felt like I almost made this mistake that like I should have had it more together. And I didn't, <laughs> I all of a sudden, this responsibility, my whole life of taking care of this, di- this thing called diabetes was like, is so much huger because somebody else's life was at risk actually on the line. And that was like a really heavy mm-hmm. thing that I dealt with through both of my pregnancies. You know, it's not just about me and my own health. It was about theirs. And, never and yeah, would, that, I know, never would have even thought about that. That is so well said. It's yeah. You, whatever yeah. you do is going to affect that. And that's with any pregnancy, but that's a totally different layer of right craziness. My God. Yeah. Yeah, it is with with any pregnancy, right? You know, you have to think about all the things you do, and people can really make themselves crazy about it. And diabetes comes with its own, you know, anxieties anyway, and then it sort of magnifies all of that. Yeah, um, I would. And, would you feel, or yeah, would you say that the habits you had going into the pregnancy, mm-hmm. in regards to your diabetes management, were amplified? <laughs> yes. So it um, really tested and challenged what you had going in. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it just kind of shows where you're at, uh, you know, being in, uh, being in school, we were taught about what happens, um, whenever high blood sugar is in the, the pregnancy environment, 
right. to the baby during the pregnancy and and after the pregnancy and a lot yep. of those things i mean i knew that you know a type one mom would have a more challenging pregnancy just because it'd be hard to keep your blood sugars under control but i didn't right. really see the the direct um what could happen inside the pregnancy and i was like right. wow that is such a tremendous weight to bear for for right. mom and um, then the catch is the more stressed out about that you get, the higher yeah. your blood sugar gets. Uh. The higher your blood sugars get. So that was a, a challenge for me. I mean, I I had acupuncture every week throughout my um, my first pregnancy, and I think that helped a lot, sort of keep my stress level and anxieties in check. But so I mean, that's, it's huge because you can think. I mean, there were weeks I felt like I was behind the ball. Um, you know, through the whole pregnancy, like my blood sugars, I would think we finally found a pattern and they change. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of like always playing catch up. And that was, that was really stressful because I had gotten to a point in my diabetes management where I wasn't like by any means a a gold star student, but (laughs) I felt like I was really managing them. I kind of know what makes, what made my blood sugars tick. And then all of a sudden it's like this whole new set of, it's like you start from scratch. Yep. Well, okay. so baby number one, success, obviously. Baby number one, success. She was a big, um, bigger baby. I had a lot, I was taking a lot of insulin. I had a lot of blood, high blood sugars in the mm-hmm. third trimester. Mm-hmm. She was nine pounds, three ounces, but totally healthy. Uh, her blood sugars were stable pretty much right away. Um, I learned a lot through oh, that pregnancy too crazy. of sort of like owning my, being my own expert in, yep. in diabetes because I had so many cooks in the kitchen. I had... <laughs> My, um, my endocrinologist who was great, but my OB who wasn't really a high risk doctor, but thought that she could handle it. Mm -hmm. But then I had a perinatologist, um, who really paid attention to the baby, but then they had me see a diabetes in pregnancy specialist who really knew nothing about type one and was more sort of gestational diabetes. I had a lot of people giving a lot of advice Mm -hmm. to me that wasn't always, um, (laughs) didn't always fit with what somebody else was saying. And I, I realized some point probably halfway through the pregnancy, like I needed to listen to my body also and that my voice was was sort of important. So I think I I kind of grew up a lot in that sense. Um, By the end of that pregnancy, I was like, I knew, I knew more about myself and what I needed. And um, yeah, we know, I have had this for, you know, at that point, 25 years, I I know as much, if not more about (laughs) about how I work with it than the doctors did. Not that they didn't take their... Well, and that's a hard for a lot of people to hear just because we rely on our doctors for keeping us alive. And it's it, you have to be a strong individual to say, you know what, I that's not working for me. I, this yeah. is not... I don't feel... I'm going to... And, and do your own management, essentially. And Well, for, for example, I think um, my... my endocrinology team wanted me to be eating a certain amount of carbs a day, certain amount of grams of carbs. I think it was yeah. like, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't want to say 200, maybe 160 or something. But okay. I had a really hard time in the first trimester because I didn't feel well, but I also really struggled with, I just felt better when I was eating a little more high fat, a little bit lower carb. I was certainly right. getting the amount of calories I needed, but I just felt like I had more energy. Right. Yeah. You could feel it. You were and feeling the difference. I felt it. I felt the difference. And when I, and they were like, yeah, but you really need to be eating this many carbs, this, whatever, this way spread out throughout the day. And I tried it and I really gave it my all, but it wasn't working for me. And then I felt like, you know, I had to go to, back to my doctor with my tail between my legs. Like I didn't do my homework <laughs> properly. <laughs> I had to, to really, like I, I needed to listen to my body a little bit too. And, and um, try to figure out what made me feel the best while taking their advice also. So, mm. um, okay. Yeah, so, that's a- 
Definitely well, hard thing. Well, and okay, so baby number one, happy, successful. Yeah, you, you made it through it. And okay, right. And so yeah, the yeah. happy. She was great. Um, I had a tough time. I actually was had preeclampsia. I was diagnosed after the fact. Uh-huh. After she- born. I was really kind of in the first stages of help syndrome, which is no fun. I my liver enzymes were really high. I really, that, well, that was another thing towards the end of that pregnancy. I really felt awful. And I kind of had a gut feeling something was up, um, and probably needed to advocate a little bit more for myself, but I kind of thought, um, I've never done this before and I am not the expert like these people are. And yeah, a little bit of protein in my urine, my blood, my blood pressure was high enough that I think it was, you know, all signals should have been pointing to it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I was fine. And, um, and she, Sadie, my four-year-old was fine. Um, but it sort of made me rethink what my game plan was going to be for the next time being really with somebody that who my, my main point of contact through the pregnancy would also know something about type one. Right. Um, So that changed. So, so we moved in that time too. So it sort of made sense that I had to find a new team And about, I guess she was two, I decided, again, let's start thinking about this and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) I should have done this in the first time because it happened very quickly. Um, And sort of surprisingly, again, that like, I just thought it might take a little longer and it didn't. Um, But that pregnancy, I ended up having a miscarriage and that was really tough. It was, I was about like eight weeks in, I didn't feel terrible the way I had with my first pregnancy, like the mm-hmm. seasick, seasick feeling. I was really tired. Um, but I did think, I didn't think anything was really wrong. I did think that I was having a successful pregnancy and then mm-hmm. we went ultrasound around, I think eight weeks. And they told me that my dates were wrong, that there was a, a flicker of a heartbeat, but it couldn't, I couldn't be more than five weeks along. And I just mm-hmm. knew that that was not possible. Hmm. They were like, yep. maybe your dates are just wrong. Maybe your timing um, was off. And I knew, I knew, yeah, just knew my body. And, um, so I knew something wasn't good. And they were like, well, maybe this will turn out to be a viable pregnancy. We have to wait, you know, we'll come back in 10 days and we'll see what happens. And that was the hardest 10 days of my oh, life. God, I, yeah. knew, I knew what was happening was not, was probably, I knew that this probably wasn't going to be a pregnancy, but I was holding on to this hope that yeah. like somehow this was happening. It almost would have been easier to go in and find out like, nope, this isn't happening. Yeah. So that was a really tough and sad and hormonal week. But I, I do remember wanting to blame diabetes at some point, even though I knew that that probably wasn't yeah. mm-hmm. what happened. And my doctors assured me my sugars had been good. They weren't, you know, super, super low. I mean, I think... I can't remember what my A1C was, but like maybe 6.5 and she wanted wow. me to be sick, but it wasn't like, yeah. you know, in 12, like that was mm-hmm. definitely a factor. But well, and I, do you even remember like, okay, during that very emotional hormonal time, that 10 days, your diabetes is affected by that. I mean, you had to have yeah. been a wreck. I mean, in oh, your yeah. blood sugars and all kinds of other things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everything was a wreck and it's sort of hard to know what came, what causes yeah. what, but, um, Anyway, yeah, that so that so we went back a week later and I had started bleeding a little bit and um and it didn't look good. So I ended up having a DNC mm-hmm. and that was tough. I really wanted to be mad at somebody. Right. And I so uh. I ch- I chose my diabetes to be mad at uh. and I took it out on on myself for two months. I just sort of didn't care 
and I mm-hmm. ate what I wanted and drank what I wanted, too many glasses of wine, and <laughs> I sort of fell off of my, my normal game plan. I mean, I kept it together. I was still in school. I still had a two-year-old, you know, I wasn't like... <sighs> you know, lying in a corner all day long, but I felt like, it. like I, yeah. I, had I not had those responsibilities, I easily could have. Cause I just felt like, you know, mad at everything. Um, oh, and sad. It, it's really, it's a sad thing to go through. And I've had a million friends that have gone through it now and yeah. so many do, but until it happens to you, um, you know, you really say you fall in love with the idea of, with a child when the idea is sort of there. And so yeah. that, um, that's tough. Plus, it's a part of you. I mean, you're con- you're connected. You, I mean, I don't think there's any way for, um, for for us to know unless you have that kind of connection from the get go. Yep. And you know, also, I didn't realize until recently either that you know, one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. Yeah, a lot of women don't even know. You know, yep. I mean, it's yeah. Oh, it happens very frequently. I work with fertility patients all the time. And so I'm like, you see this happen yeah. all the time. And it's never easy. Some people, um, I think, can sort of get past it really quickly. And some people really can. It's yeah. really hard. And I was sort of somewhere in the middle. I, I knew this wasn't, I was so, it made me so grateful for what I had. Mm-hmm. But in the same time, I just, um, yeah, it was a, it was a rough, a rough stretch. But, um, I decided to sort of give myself the time I needed to recover mm-hmm. and then talk to my doctor about like getting my sugars really tight again. And, um, and I did and got pregnant pretty easily again. Um, what was the time frame there from the miscarriage to like really getting back into it and getting probably pregnant? About, so probably about five months. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I knew that I wanted to wait at least a couple of months. And then I, I had a bit of a hard time. It was like sort of over the holidays and I wasn't ready to tighten up, tighten the belt as much as I, I needed to, to really think about doing this. Cause I, then I get, it almost re-sparked this like desire me to be really tight with my control in a different way because I just needed that to not be a factor uh, the next time. So I was, really diligent, um, testing all the time. And, um, yeah, so then I got pregnant again. I, and things were good. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Um, I had a little bit of like spotting at six weeks yep. and I lost it. I thought it was happening. Oh. Again. It was really pretty miserable, but turned out things were okay. And, uh, it was a very different pregnancy the second time. Oh, uh, I bet it was. I easier? bet it was so much different. Was it easier? I don't know if it was easier. I, I, it was easier because I knew what to expect and it wasn't all new, but I had a harder time with my sugars. And I think it was probably because the first time I felt like I could make, I made that like such a priority. And Mm -hmm. then the second time I was graduating school, starting my practice, I had a two year, you know, almost three year old, um, life was just really different and it was hard it was, it was challenging in a, in a different way. Um, I had a much harder time in the third trimester with blood sugars, much, much harder. I mean, I was taking even more than, than I thought was possible, mm-hmm. even more than my doc- doctors thought was possible. Oh, um, wow. It was almost like a gestational diabetes on top of type one. Yep. Uh, and she was the, the growth chart was, <laughs> was, um, pretty vertical towards the end. And I ended up having a C-section at 38 weeks. She was 11 pounds. Oh my gosh. And it was tough because, and that was hard on me at the end because I really was working hard at it. It just felt like this thing that I could not, 
get a hold of. And uh, I was huge. She was huge. And, um, <laughs> and, and we didn't, you know, the day she was born, we didn't even win the prize. There was an 11 pound, four ounce baby born uh, hour call. later. I was like, damn it, we didn't even get that, the gold star. Um, <laughs> but you know, she spent a couple of days in the NICU and she had blood sugar um, regulation problems. And that that's tough because that was one of those yeah. moments I felt like. Could I have done more? Should I have done more? And I knew that I could. I knew that I did everything, but it still felt like I wasn't good at it. And I, I like to be an A, and you know, an A student. So it was tough. But she's great now. She's totally healthy and and all good. There's not a board question that goes by Sarah or any time that we have any test on peds or any time OB that we don't have a, a type one mom question and in a NICU hypoglycemia question. So, oh. oh my gosh, I mean, we, we talk about this yeah. all the time and, you know, everybody always thinks that, you know, if your baby comes out and it's over 10 pounds or if it's above nine, that this is going to be a big child, right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. we think that growth starts right there, but the weight of the child when they come out is only a reflection of how much insulin is in the placenta oh, that, that wow. really you, you, the, the growth chart you don't, you start to stabilize that at like the three month level. And then at three months is when you start tracking on the lines. It's not the initial birth weight. It's like for you, you just had to take a lot of insulin. And so it doesn't mean that, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. Yeah. Cause you were talking about that gestational on top of type one, which is totally possible. Yeah. Totally possible. Yeah. That's ish. I was, I actually had to go up to the bigger, um, pump that holds, uh, I don't know what that is. Um, it holds more insulin in the thing. And I was changing it every day and a half. That's oh, my God. Okay. It was pretty insane. Well, and this is, uh, I've never worn a pump. Being pregnant, uh-huh. most people put their pump sites on their stomach. Yeah. Where were you, where were you putting yours? <laughs> Anywhere <laughs> I question. could fit it. <laughs> uh, around my back, on my legs. I mean, I tried oh everywhere. Oh, my God. Where I go. I mean, towards the end, though, my husband was putting in most of them because I couldn't even reach around. Kelly, <laughs> 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 but... Uh, and that yeah. doesn't freak him out. I mean, obviously he can do it. I mean, no, no, he's all good. He, he figured that pretty quickly. Okay, that's um, good to hear. Because uh, we've talked about, would you let somebody else give you a shot or whatever? And I'm like, hell no, I'm not letting anybody. But I guess if you have to let somebody do it, your husband would be a good one to do it. Yeah, I mean, I like to, to control it. And I probably um, <laughs> like need to make sure it's all in the right place before anything's plunged. But I let my daughter help me with my um, oh. my sensor. She likes to help me like take the plunger part off. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And she we, I made the mistake last year. Some uh, we our neighbors were over and one of the little <laughs> girls asked me what was on my arm. She was about three years old. And I, I told her it was my doorbell. <laughs> I, I don't know if you could imagine now I've had my doorbell rung uh, ding dong about uh, like maybe a million times since then but my daughter thinks it's really funny and she wants to you know help me with my ding dong put it on that is <laughs> hilarious oh my gosh okay uh, okay, okay. also I gotta ask you too who is running the blood sugar show when you're in labor oh that's a good question oh yes yeah, so I with both times I had a, a game plan about that and um I think my endocrinologist and I sat down and sort of mapped everything out the first time. They did give me a dextrose drip during labor just to keep me from going too low in case I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my blood sugars actually, I have to say, were really stable through that one. The second time it ended up being a C-section um, because they knew that she was tracking so large. Um, and again, I knew, your blood sugars really will drop, you know, once the placenta is gone, 
it's, it changes everything. So I knew to expect that I would need almost a quarter of the insulin I was taking. Um, but I did have a bit of a hard time with that the second time because I, I had a really tough time with the anesthesia and I couldn't keep anything down. Yeah. Yeah. I I wasn't able to keep the juice down. So I think I had my pump running on like a 20% basal for the first day or two. Um, and just checking all the time. I had my sensors on. I, Mm -hmm. everybody, my, I taught my husband how to do everything in case he needed to, um, while we were in the hospital and (laughs) wow. I was in touch with, with my endocrinologist both times. I mean, both times after, within hours after the, the baby's being born, I was on the phone with my doctor just sort of checking in and making sure that the plan, that we had a plan. Mm. Well, here's a random question. Okay, so yeah. having your husband know how to do everything while in the hospital, like to mm-hmm. me, okay, so what if you're a single person with type 1, you pop out a kid, and you do need help with that stuff? Would they bring in a CDE? I mean, who, yes. who would do it? Had people, they had people there that would have, been able to help. My endocrinologist would have come if I needed her to. Okay. I only taught my husband because I knew he could do it and I wanted him to do it instead of having, you know, a nurse or doing it. Like, as, as you said, I don't, I wouldn't let too many people give me a shot, but he's one of them. I would (laughs) (laughs) get some satisfaction out of it too. But, um, but the the point, yeah, the point being that if your husband wasn't around that you would have had to, to bring in somebody with some skilled expertise yeah, and that it probably wouldn't have been someone just in the labor and delivery. Exactly. Right. Right. Interesting. I mean, they would have, they talked to me about disconnecting my pump and putting me on insulin and, Mm -hmm. uh, and dextrose drip. And I didn't want that. I really wanted to to have as much control of it as I could, but I'm sure that that happens. Um, I would say it happens probably more than, um, I would say probably happens more than when people decide to stay on their own maintenance right. program. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you just because we had another, and I can't re- recall the person's name, but w- sh- this kind soul was like, I really love your podcast. Thank you for sharing all these things, but I would really, I'm interested in having a child and, um, I'm scared and could you bring on somebody that talks about this? So I'm thankful and I hope this person is listening and will shoot us some comments and other questions, maybe if they have them for you, Sarah. But if you were to give some advice to a woman, I don't care if you've had diabetes for 20 years or three years, what would you say would be some, some tips going into to trying to get pregnant? Hmm. I think the most important thing is to like set up a team of people you trust. And I mean, by team, I mean like family members whose shoulders you can cry on when it's tough because it is tough. An endocrinologist that you trust, uh, an OB that you think really, really gets it. Mm -hmm. Um, and they don't all, not that they're all not great doctors, but you want somebody that really can understand the role that, that type one is going to play in this because it's very different than gestational. So respected. uh, Yeah. Yep. Um, so really I'm felt so fortunate to have all of those, those people in my life, especially my family who, um, <laughs> I remember crying in the middle of a Costco parking lot with my mom <laughs> during the middle of the pregnancy because I just felt like this is really hard. This is really, really hard. And, uh, and sh- just to have those people that you can sort of vent to cause you need to, it's stressful. <laughs> I, I mean to make it sound like I cried through both pregnancies I had, I had happy moments too well I think everybody's crying I mean whether you have diabetes or not pregnancies are tough I'm sure yeah, so it's tough. you know it, the the ability of us to experience those like sorrow filled moments creates yeah. the really strong joy moments too 
Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine the sense of accomplishment. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Well, kudos. I I did have a sense of pride. I think that was maybe different, like, that I got through this and got two healthy and beautiful and cute as can be kids out of it. But I also feel like... I think probably years ago when my husband and I first met, we always talked about three kids and Ah. now I feel like I'm done. Like I am, I I feel like going for a third would be some sort of like testing fate. Um, (laughs) Well, that's, that was going to be my next question is, have you guys wrapped it up? And yeah, I wrapped it up. I, I had really tough pregnancies and I had two great, smart, cute. I mean, I know every mom says that, but I think they're pretty cute. They're Um, pretty freaking cute. And I just feel like I'm ready to sort of move on, and I don't I'm no, don't really want to lose that like control yeah, yeah. again. Yes. So no, I'm I'm pretty I'm sure I'm done. And um, mm-hmm. and what's the what's I, your I second daughter? I don't cheer on anybody else because I feel like maybe that's sort of where I'll put that extra energy into is helping yeah. other oh. you know people that are going through this. It's it's tough, and Love it. nobody can understand it. I mean, we nobody can understand type one other than those of this, us that yeah. have it, and uh, the people that get it. Yeah. Okay. So there was one question I was going to ask you on. Oh, what's your second daughter's name? Oh, Remy is the little one. Remy. R-E-M-Y. And she's, uh, she's hilarious. She is not so happy about her sister's cast. I will tell you that. (laughs) Is she jealous? Is she jealous? I don't know. I think she's, she's 16 months old, so she can't really talk yet, but she's blabbering a lot. She wants to be understood. And the other day she climbed up next to her on the couch. She tried to pull, literally pull the cast off of her. And I think she just wants her little buddy. Oh, because she's not as active. Wants her buddy back. That's funny. Bless her heart. As we start to wrap, to wrap up this, uh, this show, uh, because we'd love to have you back at some point. Yeah, we want to talk so, about so, your your job because we didn't yeah. get to touch on that. We're an hour in. My job. I think that deserves its own show. At some yeah, point. seriously. But, uh, you know, uh, the thing that struck me whenever I was reading your Beyond Type One post, and we'll include that in the the notes after the show. The thing that struck me was the importance that you found in like managing the anxiety and controlling yeah. stress, and yeah. like, do you have any advice on like? where to seek those extra resources in regards, because man, the stress hormones are such a big deal in pregnancy and what kind of practices that you put in place to help yourself, you know, cruise along smoothly when you could. Yeah. Well, you know, acupuncture is is what I do. And I found that to be so helpful in sort of keeping those waves that will happen from being too, you know, too big. Um, but also things like yoga. I mean, I, I can't say I did it as frequently in my second pregnancy. I just didn't have a time, but prenatal yoga through my first was so helpful. I mean, Uh, just the breathing and the sort mm -hmm. of, um, stretching and all of those things It it felt like a luxury, but at the same time, I, I don't think it was, I really think it kept, kept me, um, calmer through it all. Mm -hmm. Um, exercise too. That's a real, that's a really hard thing. Exercise in type one anyway, and then throw in pregnancy (laughs) to it. It's like crazy. And so I didn't do a ton of it, but I did try to walk where I could and when I could, Mm -hmm. um, I was commuting into New York city. So I would, you know, go to grand central and then just walk wherever I could. And that just that movement, um, I found really helpful and it's, it's different for, for everybody, but, um, those things do, I mean, yoga, I think most people would agree on acupuncture too. Um, and, but also venting. And I think for, I didn't have a therapist, um, that I saw th- through the pregnancies, but I think for s- some people I know that have, that has been really helpful because there's a lot, a lot that you carry and to have somebody <laughs> that can really, yes. uh, you know, vent on, mm-hmm. vent to, um, would be really helpful. So, um, I think I that's just, good for anybody. 
I think a lot of obstetricians now are, are sort of, they're tapped into those communities too because, because their patients ask for it. So um, you can always ask them. And, but find a good prenatal place. Prenatal yoga, um, I think, was, was so awesome. My sister swears by that. Yeah. yeah. It's been very, yeah. Huge. Okay, one last question. Because sure. I feel like I try to ask this to the most people that we interview that actually have type 1. Um, mm. What's your, because, you know, the doctors say you need to keep your blood sugar between X and Y. What, how, where do you feel the best? Oh, that's, that's really interesting. So I've been kind of struggling with this lately because I think I'm staying a little bit on the higher edge of probably where I should be. Yeah. Like, like I find that my average these days has been in the one forties, Yeah. Um, which just, I feel like it makes me feel a little safer there because when mm. I am closer to 100, I get more nervous about, am I going to have a low? And when I'm chasing my kids around or when I'm at work and I really don't stop moving when I'm there, I, it's hard for me to sort of take a breath and and figure out how I'm going to treat a low if it seems like it's going there. But I would like to be, you know, down in the 110 to 120 range. So it's just tinkering with those numbers to get there. Um, but yeah, I feel like I have, I'm in this comfort zone right now. Um, that, you know, I could, I could work a little well, harder, but you're it's aware. Not, you're not, aware yeah, of it. It's though. not working harder. I mean, I feel like we're all working hard constantly, and yeah, that's yeah, exhausting. Now, that's a bad word. Not working harder, but um, uh, yeah, try to get it down a little bit. And you know, I mean, this is probably an, another conversation for another time. But exercise has become much more important to me in yeah. the last year, and this has been a huge learning curve. Um, different kinds of exercises and trying to figure out what they do to me and when. Um, because I've had times where I've had highs or lows later in the day after working out. And I'm mm. I, trying to keep keep an eye on, on the patterns there so I can... Um, but it's still so tough because as we yeah. all know, the patterns... I mean, we could write a different pattern every single day and you could do the same freaking thing. Sure. Jog the exactly. same mile. So it's that's a tough one. And uh, yeah, well, kudos to you on that. And um Thank you. Thank you. Anything else we want to throw in? I think that's, we've touched on the pregnancy, which I learned so much today. Oh, okay. That was yeah. awesome, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure if other people have other questions, I'd be happy to answer them about my own experience. I know it's different, um, you know, for everybody, but, um, the, you know, and I can talk about the details of, and sort of what the struggles were, but at the end of the day, the goal was to have a happy and healthy baby. And yes. that happened. So I do Yay. feel like despite this, the struggles, they were, they were happy pregnancies and, and that's, that's that, wonderful. The most important uh, part. That's the goal. Well, thank you so much for taking time on your Saturday afternoon. We heard the kids in the background earlier. I'm sure they'd like to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear the drum set down there? I was like, can you guys try not? My husband's down there with them. But uh, I was like, can you try to keep the keyboard off and the drum set down? <laughs> I didn't hear drums. I just heard laughter and, and little girl yeah. voices. Just so. heard good times. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They're fun. All right, Sarah, we'll be sure to bring you back on really soon because we'd like to hear more about your acupuncture and the effects and everything about diabetes with that. So. Awesome. All right. Well, it was great talking to you guys. <sighs> Thank you. Big thanks, Sarah. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. What a show. What a show. Yeah. I don't feel like we overpromised what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> she 
I hope she we was, don't she ever, was, ever. She was promise. awesome. I, I just enjoyed listening to her talk about her story. The level of honesty there is is what I is what I love about her. And what I you know I feel like a stalker. I've said this. I might have said this on the podcast, but she's just a genuine person shooting it straight. She is, and she's serious about if you want to reach out to her. Yeah. Any kinds of questions. So you can direct all of those to info at diabetesdailygrind.com. We'll make sure to pass them along or drop them in the, um, the comment boxes on the comment box when we post the podcast actually on, on our site. Yep. Just put it on that specific post and she'll feed into that. And you know, any, no question is a wrong question. She is so honest, especially with the pregnancy things and thinking, Oh, just the way she talks about her numbers and the challenges. She's here to help. She is. Yep. And so are we. Yep. <laughs> so are we. We've yeah. never had children, but <laughs> we have lived with diabetes. So, and she's similar in us and being diagnosed around the same age. So she, she gets it. So she gets it. And tapping into the DOC at a later part in life. Yep. Like all of, like us. The DOC is always there. God, if we would only found them like, well, when they existed, when Scott Johnson rolled out with the number one or Amy and whatever. Anywho, we're happy to be here. And we're happy you're listening. Definitely. Still listening, hopefully. Yes, and we are so pumped. Woo! To Finally! Bring, to bring back the iTunes, iTunes review. review! It's back. We need some, yeah. Okay, so we have a five-star review coming today. Thank goodness. From C. Clarehue. I don't know what that is, yeah. Oh, it's a great last name, yeah. But it's five stars. Review, labeled, love your podcast, exclamation point. Here's our reason. I so appreciated your episode featuring Kim Boaz Wilson, CDE, and person with diabetes. It's so refreshing to hear from a person with diabetes in the medical field, considering I always feel like I'm having to explain my CGM and treatment decisions to my endo and nurse practitioner. Would have loved to have the advice from the episode 15 plus years ago when I was sneaky candy, manipulating my numbers, or not checking at all. Because if you didn't check, there was no proof of bad numbers. Thanks again <laughs> I know for being such a breath of fresh air and good chuckle on a rough day. Man, we needed to hear this today. That just really warms my heart. No doubt. Thank you. Thank you so much. And absolutely love the review. For the rest of you, we love the reviews. We love the comments. I mean, we we do this because it's a it's a labor of love, for lack of a better word. And that just lets us know you're listening, you're liking, and that it's making an impact on your life. Hopefully, yeah, it's the best gift for the show too. Absolutely. So, see Claire Hugh, hit us up info at diabetesdailygrind.com emails and we will get a t-shirt either gray or blue to you asap all right or in the next two years i mean let's just be honest it's it's getting done yep <laughs> send us an email we need we, oh, need, we need you know what from hold on we need emails and too we need an intern we need you to throw a little change our way let's just be honest <laughs> so we can hire somebody to send out these freaking t-shirts because it's stressing me out i'm a doer and not a yeah and we're not doing it you know we, we want to mm-hmm. be right and the way for that to happen if you have a few few you know extra bucks just sitting around, like one dollar, or we have a PayPal four thousand dollars. Let's not get. We'll take whatever. One dollar will be fine. And let, let's yes. be clear because this has been. Uh, I, we don't want to be misleading by any means. We are not a nonprofit organization. This is basically an investment in just pushing out more episodes. It's yep. not a tax deductible donation, and we do not want anyone to think that that's the case. So yep. And uh, our goal is just put out more shows continue to have a, a good time. And then 10% of everything we receive goes to Camp Blue Hawk in Oklahoma, a type one camp that's- uh, Near and dear to our hearts. Its mission is to send every kid in Oklahoma with diabetes to diabetes camp. So that's what we do. All right. Anything is, else you want to uh, wrap the show? I don't know. No, this is, 
Oh, and we're excited. We're mm -hmm. obviously going to be pushing out new episodes. And Ryan and I were just chatting about who and what do we want to hear about next. Mm -hmm. So if you know of anyone or have an interesting story you'd like to share, shoot us an email and we'd love to consider you for a podcast. Absolutely. All right, everybody. You know how we're going to end this. Cheers to Cheers the highs, to the and, highs and lows. Yes, I'm alive. One minor inconvenience, a little thing called diabetes. It's a daily grind, it's a daily grind, and it grinds and grinds and grinds and grinds. But I'm alive. Yes, I'm. Diabetes, it's a daily grind, it's a daily grind, it's a daily grind.